Uh, join with me, please, as uh, we read the um, scripture together. This is Nehemiah 2, 9 through 20. The king had also uh, sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my guide had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By the night, I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had, not, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. And I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also said to them about the gracious hand of God that was upon me, and the king had said to me, and what the king had said to me. Then he said, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked us and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked? Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or a claim or historic right to it. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I'm excited to be here today. I, as Justin said, I have had an opportunity to do this a number of times. I actually had a chance to do it for the first time today in the traditional service, so that was fun, and I, I'm always appreciative of the opportunity. Thank you for the uh, introduction, Justin, and, and thank you guys for being welcoming. For the last couple of weeks and, and for the next five, um, Justin's going to be leading us through the book of Nehemiah. This is the book of the Bible that uh, talks about how God, through Nehemiah and the people of Judah, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. So a couple of weeks ago, Justin talked about um, how Nehemiah um, created a foundation for rebuilding. He said he, that we begin to repair, uh, prepare for rebuilding with repentance, prayer, and a willingness to follow. Last week, Justin talked about having confidence in God, believing that if we follow his lead to rebuild, that he's going to be with us and it'll lead us. This week, we're going to talk about hearing from God. We're going to talk about how we deal with opposition, and we're going to talk about how we persevere. But first, I want to uh, deal with the reality, at least the reality for me, in, in trying to connect a scripture like this uh, to the present. Sometimes I read a scripture, and I, and I see how God's at work in it. And in this case, I, I see how Nehemiah um, was in prayer with God and how God led him to rebuild the wall. I, I, I read about how Nehemiah worked with the Israelites and how they together rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Sometimes it's a challenge for me to connect something like that, a historical narrative, with, with the present. Sometimes I find it, be a, uh, it can be a, uh, a bit challenging to see God at work in my life. So if you're like me and this is a challenge, I want to take just a moment to assure you that God is at work in your life. God is at, at work in the life of this church. He's not waiting. He's actively rebuilding. Whether it's in your life or it's in this church, God is at work all the time. But I think it's important for us to understand that God always has and still does rebuild through his people. God works through his people. 
Uh, last week, Justin said that if you feel yourself uh, passionate about a, a, a ministry or you, you feel yourself in prayer about it, you, you feel like you're led to say, you know, God, I, I want to see us rebuild something in, in, in worship or, or I want to see us, uh, what we're doing in, in youth. I pray for you to bring somebody to, to children's ministry. He has done those things recently, by the way. Uh, uh, great to announce uh, the youth and children's minister, ministers. Um, but it, we feel, see ourselves um, and feel ourselves called to those things. I think it's important that we understand if that's happening, that there's a good chance that he's calling us to those things. So if we want to see God at work in our church, we have to see ourselves at work. We, we have to be on mission ourselves. So there's these three elements I want to talk about uh, with that today. First is hearing from God. The second is how it is that we deal with opposition. And the third is how we persevere. So let's talk about hearing from God. If we want to hear from God, we have to be listening. How do we put ourselves in the right posture to hear from God? It's my belief that God is constantly trying to communicate with us. And most of the time, maybe this is true for you, certainly true for me, most of the time I'm not listening. If I'm not hearing from God, it's not because he's not talking. It's because I'm having a hard time hearing him because I'm not listening. So how do we hear from him? Prayer, scripture, creation. We hear from him often in nature, the Holy Spirit. And for me, I hear from him most often and most clearly through you, through the body of Christ. I could give you a ton of examples where I've seen this in my life, but probably the one that stands out the most was uh, just a few years ago. I, I was in a situation where uh, I had been praying for quite a while about a, a topic. It's something I uh, was feeling called to. I've been praying about it and I've been thinking about it and trying to figure out how to make it happen. This thing I was feeling called to wasn't going to be easy for me. There was a financial element to it, a, a, a work element to it, a, a, a family element to it. Um, I didn't have a good solution. I've been trying to figure out how to make it happen, but I wasn't quite certain how to do it. I, I had lots of ideas but nothing that really checked all the boxes. And I could feel God beginning to communicate with me. I could, I could begin to hear him. I felt like what he was telling me was that this is not something that you have to do on your own. I know you're trying to follow what I call you to do, but what I really want you to do is trust me. What I really want you to do is let me show you how to get this done. And, and that, for me, was the part that I was missing. I was trying to figure out how to do this on my own. When God, what God really wanted from me was to trust him. And I was beginning to hear, relax. Let me handle it. So I was about to go on this retreat for the weekend. And I'd been on this retreat before, so I knew the agenda. There's this um, point in the, in the weekend where you're asked to consider what it is that God is calling you to do and what it is you might have to leave behind to accomplish it. God's calling us to something, and, and what is it that, that may be holding us back? What do we need to, to, to give up in order to, to follow what he's calling us to do? And to make the point during this uh, little ceremony, during this weekend retreat, um, you, you literally write on a piece of paper what it is that you, you want to give up, and you, you fold it up, and you have a chance to leave it at the cross and let, and let God carry the burden for you. So as this weekend was approaching, I was hearing God tell me what he wanted me to give up that weekend. What it was he was telling me to, to do and to think about was to try to figure out how to let go of this thing and to let him lead. It's not that he was no longer calling me, it's that he wanted me to recognize that I didn't have to come up with all the answers. And so that's what I needed to give up during this weekend retreat. So as the moment arrived, we're at, the, um, at this event, and we're all um, in a little chapel, um, maybe a quarter the size of this, and we're all sitting in rows just like that, looking that way. So we're looking forward towards the, the chancel area, the, 
uh, at the cross. And as we sat, we were in these rows, and the, the people that were, um, that were already um, in line to, um, to, to go up to the front of the cross were standing. So I'm sitting in the front row, and there's a group of people in me that are already in line, waiting for my, my time to get in line and go, and go lay this at the cross. So um, the people that were standing in front of me, one of them was, was David Stubbs. Now, if you've uh, been at this church, you know who David Stubbs is. Um, it, it, but if you're uh, visiting today or you're, or you're new, you may not. David has been, uh, worked at the church for about 40 years. Um, my wife, Catherine, grew up at this church. And I'm not going to tell you how old she is because that seems like a bad idea. But, um, but I will tell you this. I'll let you try and relate the number a little bit. We've got a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and an 8-year-old. So uh, David started working at the church about the time that she was born. So that's how long David's been here. Um, David's still a member here, and he's somebody that I trust and admire. We've done a lot of work together. If there's anybody that, that I immediately identify as a member of the body of Christ, a disciple of Christ, it's David. And while David and I are fairly close, uh, he, he didn't know what this was I was praying about. He had, had no way to know, and he certainly didn't know what was written on my little piece of paper. But I sat there, paper in my hand, waiting to get in line to tell God that I was ready to quit trying to figure out how to do what he wanted me to do. I was ready to let go and let him lead. And David's standing right there in front of me. He's waiting for his turn to go to the cross. And all of a sudden, he turns to me. He walks out of line. He comes over to where I'm sitting, right on the front. He leans over. He puts his hands on, on my knees, and he says, he's going to tell you what to do. So do I believe that God talks to us through each other? 100%. There's not a doubt about it in my mind. A couple hours later, I was with David, and he said, man, I'm sorry about that. It was a little bit weird. I, I have no idea why I said that to you. He said, I was just feeling called to come over and tell you that you needed to let this go and let God lead. I've never heard God's voice audibly, but I have heard his words in the voice of the body of Christ. I've heard his words through you. And that day, it was David Stubbs. And honestly, it's not always quite that recognizable. But I do believe that if we talk to God, he talks back to us every day. I'm not always listening, but I think that's just what's amazing about our God. He doesn't give up. Even if I'm not listening today, he'll pursue me again tomorrow. He may come at it from a different way, but he'll find a way to have me listen. He wants to talk to us. He wants to lead us. He wants us to follow him. But we have to be in prayer. We have to be in scripture. And we have to be talking to each other. We have to be talking to God's people and allow, us, allow him to talk to us through them. So we, we hear from God. We know how he's leading us. We know what uh, he wants us to do, but it's not always easy, right? Sometimes we find ourselves with opposition. Now, I think it's important to recognize that opposition isn't always the same. Not all opposition is created equal. Sometimes there's opposition that's in front of us, and, and it's evil, and it's pretty clear. I heard my daughter Allie say the other day that sometimes you just don't have a piece about something. We tend to know that, and, and how we fight through that opposition is we push through, right? But some opposition comes from family members. Or it comes from the church. Let me ask you this. Can, do you think that two Christian people can be praying about the same thing, both earnestly seeking to follow God's will and come up with two different answers to the same question? I, I believe that they can. In Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you. 
and that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Now that sounds like church, right? There's never any disagreement, never any division, right? Paul's a smart guy. He's a pragmatic guy. Why is it that a smart, pragmatic guy calls us to do something that doesn't feel that realistic? It doesn't seem like an easy ask, right? Well, I think to digest that, we have to accept that unity doesn't mean uniform. Unity is a choice that we make. We all agree to move together in unison. So how do we deal with opposition in the church? Well, I think that we have to invite it in. I think we have to invite opposition into the church. When we have two people who are praying about the same thing and coming up with different answers, we have to be willing to have an open discussion. I can't tell you how many times I've been in this church and we've been talking about something in a committee meeting or something happens and and somebody say, listen, I think maybe you and I see this differently. Maybe we can go grab a cup of coffee or lunch and we can talk about it. It's happened all the time, and it's opened my eyes. The thing is, too, I think we also have to uh, be willing to say, I'm not always right. That's the absolute truth. I'm not always right. I see Catherine sitting right there. She probably wants to say amen. We have to accept that this isn't about winning and losing. Do we want to win the argument, or do we want to discover God's will for what he's calling us to do together? It's not about winning and losing. We have to discern what God wants us to do and pursue. And through that, we know him better and we know each other better. So how do we deal with opposition in the church? I think we invite it in. We had let God show us both where he's going. And when it's clear, we have to be willing to get on board together. We have to make the choice for unity. It doesn't call that we, uh, we have to be uniform. Paul's not asking us that. What he's saying is to make the choice to move together in unity. So we hear from God. We deal with opposition. What about perseverance? New things aren't easy, right? Justin asked us last week to consider taking on a goal for this church that would be so big that we could only accomplish it with God's help. We could only do it if we allowed God to lead. Something that big is going to take perseverance. We can't do it on our own. We have to lean on God. We have to allow ourselves to be broken. Sounds a little bit harsh, I realize. Broken. Maybe we could just be bent a little bit. Do we really have to be broken? <clears throat> we have beautiful stained glass just like this um, all over the church. My favorite um, piece of stained glass in the area, though, is, is actually at um, the, the Trinity campus now called Fellowship UMC. If any of you have been there, I'm sure you've seen it. It's the one that's up above the chancel area, <clears throat> above the, where the, alt, uh, the altar is and the choir sits. And it's a representation of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this was just before he was arrested by the Roman soldiers. This is the night before he was crucified. In it, he's down on his knees and he's praying. And this is when he's praying so hard that he's bleeding, uh, sweating blood. And he calls out to God and he says, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He's saying, God, I know what's about to happen and I don't want to do it. Take it from me, unless it's your will. And then let your will be done. And I love that picture. For me, it's the most significant reminder about what Christ did for us. And it also reminds me what God calls us to do and how he calls us to respond. And in my mind, it's inextricably linked with communion. In a little while, we're going to receive communion. And when you're given the piece of bread, you're going to hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you. Broken for you. Jesus did not want to do it. 
We see the picture of him in Gethsemane, and he's saying, Abba, Father, Dad, take this cup from me. He didn't want to do it, but he did. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the completion of his mission, at least while he was here on earth. He'd been here for 33 years, three years in ministry. He was being called to give himself completely and bear the weight of our sins. And even though he didn't want to do it, and right, who would? He did it anyway because God was calling him to it. Where's the body of Christ today? Where's the body of Christ? It's us, right? It's right here. It's you and it's me. So can the body of Christ still be broken? Well, that's up to us. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, it seems um, a little shaky, right? Maybe, maybe not so much here, maybe not so for, for you, but you look out in the world and, and you think, listen, can this world still be broken for Christ? Can the body of Christ still be broken today? Or I look at my own, my own self, my own situation, and I look at where I spend my time and my energy, and I ask myself, can this member of the body of Christ still be broken for the world? But then I look here. I look at Bunker Street. I look at the table service. I look at uh, the, the folks in the traditional service. I look at uh, our Sunday school class or our Sunday school teachers for my kids or the youth leaders or the in-house leaders. I look at our mission ministry. I look at our CDC and I think, yeah, it, it can still happen. The body of Christ will do it. Buncombe Street will do it. They will allow themselves to be broken for the world. They'll give their time, they'll give their energy, they'll give their emotions and their prayers to see God's will done. And that's why I'm here. That's why my family's here. Because Buncombe Street will do it. Buncombe Street will say, I don't want to. I'd rather stay home. But if it's my Father's will, if it's God's will, then I'm in. And that's what it takes to persevere. We don't have to have all the answers. We can let God develop our plan. We don't all have to agree. We can choose to move together in unison. And let the conclusions be up to God. We simply have to offer ourselves and say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. So in a few minutes, when we receive communion, I want to invite you into a prayer that I say every time that I receive communion. After the confession, I always ask God to show me where this member of the body of Christ can be broken for the world today. And I want to invite you into that prayer. Ask for yourself, where can the body of Christ, where can this member of the body of Christ be broken for the world today? Ask it for our church. Just as leading us through this uh, discussion on rebuilding for a reason. That's where we are. There are big things happening in our church. We see major growth. Ask us, how is he calling the church in this period of renewal of rebuilding to be broken for the world? I want to invite you to that. I do want to warn you, though. When you ask, he's going to answer. I don't know whether it's going to be through scripture or through prayer or through David Stubbs. But somewhere, God's going to answer. And I look forward to knowing what that answer is for, for each of us individually and for our church. I know Buncombe Street will say yes and allow themselves to continue to be the body of Christ broken for the world.